Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. This is the Rusk Report, a program that takes an inside look at Western New York with news, features, and special guests. Now, here's your host, Brian Rusk. Welcome to the Rusk Report on ESPN AM 1520, blanketing 17 states and much of Canada. Back by popular demand, we have with us today Ambassador Eric M. Javits, a very brilliant, gifted man who gives to his country, gives to his world, uh, a man with a tremendous conscience and uh, mission in life. He's a native of Connecticut, graduate of Choate School, Columbia College, Columbia Law School. Began his legal career at Javits and Javits, 25 years conducted international practice, was a consultant at the U.S. Department of State. In 2001, Ambassador Javits was nominated by President George W. Bush as ambassador and permanent U.S. representative to the conference on disarmament in Geneva. We're going to be talking a lot about foreign affairs, but before we do that, I'd like to mention his uncle, who I knew very well because I was on the executive committee of the Republican Party in Buffalo, New York for decades. His uncle was U.S. Senator Jacob Javits for 24 years, a great U.S. Senator from New York. Let's talk about this anti-Semitism. As of the date of this taping just yesterday, there was a stabbing in New York. Five uh, leaders of the Jewish faith were stabbed along with a rabbi. It's just a terrible hate crime. It, it's, it's something you would never imagine in the year 2020. It's just horrid. Your impressions and how can we fight this terrible anti-Semitism, Ambassador Javits? Well, there's a few things that have actually shocked me. First of all, the, America is a haven for freedom of religion and for tolerance of all kinds of groups that feel that America welcomes them. And certainly the Jewish community in America has been very welcomed and successful. But there's always been an undercurrent of anti-Semitism. And you would think that in recent history with the Holocaust and the, and the learning curve of people around the world of the horrors of what happened there, that this would type of genocide or hatred being vented against uh, unarmed people would not occur. But it is occurring. And it's occurring on an increasing rate and geographically more widespread than ever. You wonder why. Well, I, I think it's a case of people venting hatred. People are not just doing this as a religious matter. They're doing it politically. They're doing it ideologically. They're doing it 
around the world and it has some connection hatred with lust for power in my opinion and with the fact that people don't want to live and let live they want to live in control and it's a very sad thing to see mankind pitting itself against uh, minorities against religions against each other politically and I don't hear our leaders speaking out as forcefully as they should uh, President Trump certainly spoke out forcefully but others, as far as I'm concerned, have not, including the mayor of New York City, including the governor, including others that are just calling it terrorism. It's not enough to just call it terrorism. It's worse than terrorism. It's hatred being vented against unarmed, innocent people. And we should not be tolerating that. It's not just a case of police being added to uh, bollards outside of synagogues. Let's carry that a step further. We have a, a couple members of the United States House of Representatives who have condemned Israel on the floor of the House. Uh, it's just reprehensible to me, these radical uh, Islam uh, Muslim leaders who are condemning uh, the state of Israel. Uh, how can this happen in the year 2020 to have representatives of the United States congressmen condemning Israel publicly? Well, obviously, they sense an undercurrent of this kind of uh, anti-Semitic opinion being uh, spread abroad, and they're trying to capitalize on it politically. It's, otherwise, they would keep their mouths shut. So I think the fact that they're saying this is also a symptom of what's going on, and that we have to counter it proactively and, and um, with discipline. I don't see that happening right now, and I wish that our leaders would understand the urgency, because once this goes too far, it cannot be put back in the, in the box. You know, it's going to go out of control. It's just uh, disgusting uh, to see this kind of behavior uh, in the United States in this day and age after the evil of the Holocaust and World War II and Nazism. Let's talk about uh, President Trump. We, uh, we were talking before the taping about how uh, Trump has been very pro-Israel. Uh, I believe two of his children are married to Jews. Um, uh, he, he loves Israel. He's working as a partner with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, let's talk about Trump on foreign policy. You were an ambassador uh, to The Hague regarding um, disarmament uh, in, in Geneva. So let's talk from your perspective on world affairs. How is Donald Trump doing as president of foreign policy? Well, Donald Trump is looking at foreign policy in a very personal way because he knows how important personal relationships are in foreign policy. Most people who have never been a diplomat have no appreciation of how much you can get done if you have a good relationship with a key figure on the other side. And although Donald Trump may be very hard-hitting as a counterpuncher against people who are adversaries, he does try to find alliances wherever he can, as an example of North Korea. If he had not made the overtures to North Korea, we may already have had uh, a horrible experience on Earth with a nuclear weapon out of North Korea. We have not had that. And we have a very good chance of being able to keep North Korea in uh, 
at least in a, not in an aggressive overt format. They may continue to develop and, and we may not be able to get a deal with North Korea that is satisfactory to have them completely disarm in, um, in nuclear terms. But it's certainly better than what would have happened if he hadn't made the overtures. In terms of what's going on with China, he recognizes that China is both a great asset in terms of trade and buying U.S. treasuries, etc., but also a great adversary. He, I don't think he looks at China as an enemy. I think he looks at China as a competitor. And in terms of how he treats China, I think it's appropriate. Instead of giving them everything they want, and he's been putting up tariffs, he's been trying to readjust the trade relations with China because they were walking away with our lunch. And they were had, had a, such a favorable balance of trade because of the trade arrangements. We were losing every single year in the competitive race with China. When you look at how he's treating Iran, I think he's treating it absolutely correctly. The Obama administration had given them an enormous amount of money, in not just money, but cash and currency in suitcases flown over there for no reason that I can detect, and also uh, was giving them 10 years in, after which they could build nuclear weapons, which was totally against what he had promised. He promised that they would never have the nuclear weapon. So his deal was flawed from the outset, and Trump withdrew, which was marvelous as far as I was concerned. It should have been done. What Trump did in, in terms of his executive order to try to get the power grid of the U.S. organized was important in terms of foreign policy, because if we leave America naked, our foreign policy leaves us vulnerable to any aggressor that wants to put a nuclear weapon in the atmosphere over the U.S. and kill our uh, electrical grid, which would make everybody in America helpless and probably dead in a matter of 90 days. So when you look at what he's done with Europe and insisting that the Europeans pony up more money for military purposes instead of being subsidized completely by the United States, I completely concur in that. When you look at how he's readjusted the relationship with Canada and Mexico and NAFTA, and made it much fairer and better. And the fact that now the, even the Democrats have signed on to that, and that's been readjusted very favorably for the United States. There, on every front in foreign policy, I see an improvement. Very good. We're learning a great deal from former United States Ambassador Eric M. Javits. Uh, we're taping this in Palm Beach, Florida. He's a gifted man with a lot of vision and courage. We're learning a great deal from him. If you're in Cheektowaga, New York, Manhattan, or Montreal, listen to our 50,000 watts of clear channel power. Drop us a note to Brian Rusk, ESPN Radio, 500 Corporate Parkway, Suite, Suite 200, Buffalo, New York, 14226. We always greet cards and letters as we receive letters as far away as Scandinavia and New Zealand at ESPN Radio. A little bit more information about Ambassador Eric M. Javits, he was unanimously confirmed by the U.S. Senate and was U.S. Permanent Representative to the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons in the Hague 
from 2003 to 2009, an expert on uh, foreign affairs and arms. Our guest today, Ambassador Eric M. Javits. Let's uh, uh, talk a little bit about the uh, danger in Iran. Uh, years ago, we had General Alexander Haig on this program. He condemned Jimmy Carter for what he uh, did looking the other way and letting the Shah leave. He saw that it was a, an essential, essential wedge in the Middle East, which was pro-Israel. And now we have a real problem with Iran uh, being an enemy of the state of Israel. Let's talk about the threat of nuclear arms in the country of Iran. In Iran? Yes. In Iran. Well, the Iranians are basically seeking hegemony in the Middle East. And their ambitions are historically uh, in line with the fact that they've had empires for, you know, centuries in the Middle East. They are not Arabs, and they are extremely adept, very smart, well-educated people, and hardworking and ambitious. Right now, they're under enormous constraints by sanctions, and yet they find ways to work around that. Even though they've been deprived of the type of excess funds that have been able to build up enormous um, collateral forces like Hezbollah across as far as, as um, all the way across to um, other, the other countries in what would be a land bridge. The, the amount that they have available now because of sanctions is far less, yet they are playing way above their head in terms of world power. The the Middle East, I think, is basically afraid of Iran. And you'll see, ultimately, that uh, Iran is going to be able to cope with the Middle East opposition unless the United States and Israel stand very strong together and be are uh, supportive of the Israelis. Right now, the, um, the U.S. in the last day or two has launched strikes against Iranian forces that are uh, in Iraq and in Syria and as um, counterpunching to uh, attacks on, I think, that killed one or two Americans mm -hmm. that were over there. But we have to be careful because the Iranians are very capable, very devious. They know how to lie. They don't have any integrity when it comes to truth because they do what's basically in their favor. And if lying is in their favor, so when they say that they're not developing weapons, you can be sure they are. And the, the Israeli find, uh, discovery of the documents that proved they were doing this all through the period where they were claiming they weren't was a very helpful thing to instruct the world and educate the world about Iran. In terms of the population of Iran, we did nothing under Obama in 2009 when the people were ready to rise up. He didn't even give them a word of encouragement. But eventually, I think the people of Iran will take it no longer. And I'm, I'm sure that this regime of mullahs will not prevail for more than another probably 10 years. I don't think the Iranian people can be stressed uh, any longer because they've really, really been under enormous pressure from not just the mullahs, but from the sanctions. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if eventually this breaks. 
Let's talk about the other part of the world that you uh, mentioned, Ambassador Javits, and you were praising President Trump for artistically working with North Korea, keeping uh, North Korea at bay, uh, not as a threat to the world with nuclear arms, that uh, Trump seems to have the dictator of North Korea in line. We know that he occasionally does goofy, uh, strange things, as he is an erratic dictator, but it seems very much that Trump has control over the dictator of North Korea. Let's talk about the nuclear arms danger in North Korea. Well, the North Koreans may very well have nuclear weapons, but it's the delivery systems that we're worried about. And they've been working with the Iranians uh, in, in collective ways, both in Iran, where some North Koreans are, and in North Korea, where some Iranians are, to perfect the long-range delivery systems where they could deliver small nuclear warheads as far as around the United States. So we have really to be worried not just about the nuclear armaments, we have to be worried about the delivery systems. And that's why America is going to have to build up its anti-missile defenses, because there's no assurance that ultimately these weapons won't be used, if not by North Korea, but by terrorists or fall into the hands of un unfriendly countries by proliferation. The North Koreans, once they have it, may be selling them to others, as, uh, as we've seen happen in, uh, in other instances. So we have a lot to worry about in terms of the, the Iranian-North Korea collaboration. Now, I see pictures in your office, Ambassador Javits, with uh, President uh, George H.W. Bush. So you were familiar with the offensive by the United States when Saddam Hussein was in power. Uh, we've heard criticism that there were not uh, found uh, weapons of mass destruction. But, however, history will probably prove that Saddam Hussein killed one million to two million of his own people with chemical weapons, which I look upon as a weapon of mass destruction. And what a horrible way to die under chemical warfare. Isn't the world much better off with Saddam Hussein gone and uh, uh, never being able to be in power and kill more people with chemical weapons? Well, Saddam was a person who basically kept order in their society, so to speak, by murder and by force. The possibility of a democracy in Iraq was real for a while in most people's minds that thought if the people were given a chance they would keep the two, uh, a freedom regime there and they, they, you know, they went out to vote against the threat of losing their lives. They had a sh very short-term democracy after we invaded and, and displaced Saddam. I think the world certainly is better off without him because the minute he w felt he was off the leash, he invaded Kuwait. And uh, Lord knows what else he would have done. But unfortunately, the idea of getting a democracy in the Middle East in Iraq was a failure. I don't know that it was a failure because it, it just doesn't work there. I really think it works anywhere, but it was badly managed when they did not dis, when they allowed the army of uh, Saddam Hussein to disband. Well, once you disband an armed force of that size 
and they all keep their guns. They go into business for themselves to kill Americans at $100 a head. So if we had kept them organized as an army and simply changed the leadership, it would, I think, have had a chance. I don't say it would have succeeded, but it would have had a better chance. Look what happened in Japan when the Americans gave the Japanese a chance to really have a controlled and more democratic uh, regime there. For those who just tuned into the Rust Report on ESPN AM 1520, we're learning a great deal back by popular demand Ambassador Eric M. Javits. And again, he was uh, Ambassador and Permanent U.S. Representative to the Conference on Disarmament in Geneva. We're learning a great deal about world affairs. If you're in Buffalo, New York, Toronto, or Washington, D.C., drop us a note as we blanket 17 states and half of Canada. Please write to Brian Rusk, ESPN Radio, 500 Corporate Parkway, Suite 200, Buffalo, New York, 14226. We always greet cards and letters from our Canadian and European listeners also. I'd like to thank those who have called recently regarding pancreatic cancer specialist Dr. Earl Composi, Nick Langworthy, Chairman of the New York State Republican Committee, Jim Lewicki, President of the Polish-American Congress, and National Republican Committeeman from New York State, Charlie Joyce. Again, Ambassador Eric Javits was unanimously confirmed by the U.S. Senate and was U.S. Permanent Representative to the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons in The Hague from 2003 to 2009. A great statesman and diplomat, Eric M. Javits. Let's talk about the safety of the United States today. We've talked about North Korea. We've talked about Iran. We've talked about anti-Semitism and the horrible attacks against Jewish leaders throughout the United States. How safe is the United States today, Ambassador Javits? I think it's safe from external threats. I do not think it's safe in terms of its domestic political situation. I have never seen in, in my lifetime, and I've lived for almost nine decades, America as divided as it is right now, with the threat of such dissension that there's the possibility Americans could lose substantial freedoms. For instance, tolerance and diversity was always a hallmark of America, and immigration was always a hallmark of the country. But we lost the discipline of how to keep this as a balanced, tolerant society. And without the rule of law being strictly enforced, as I see it being broken down now in so many ways, in so many areas, I think we have a serious domestic threat to our country. And to keep a republic, you have to have integrity, you have to have tolerance, and you have to have ethical people in government. One of the problems that I see in our, in our society right now in the United States is that lobbying is a business. And I do not think that professional lobbying for money is healthy for our society because it provides the access for money to, in effect, virtually bribe our legislature. And when you permit, you give license to people to pay money to plead their case on their behalf, I think it's wrong. Because I think it's absolutely correct that any citizen should have the right to solicit 
the legislature in the United States, but to pay others to do it for you in such amounts that they can then turn around and make enormous contributions. I think it's, it undercuts and erodes the legitimacy and the integrity of our society in a democratic way. So I'm worried about America domestically. Sorry to say so, but that's it. That's important to know, and I'd like to mention that Ambassador Javits is supporting a young man running for Congress in southern Florida, Rick Cozell. He's running for the House, the Florida House of Representatives, right. Florida House of Representatives, and he's a very gifted young man. I have met him, and Ambassador Javits is one of his uh, top supporters. Uh, I'm going to talk about a man now who's, they're talking about running for U.S. Senate. He's the Secretary of State, uh, U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Uh, valedictorian at West Point. Is this man a gifted diplomat and statesman from your opinion as a former ambassador? I think he's doing an excellent job. Uh, first of all, because he's tough-minded. He doesn't believe in giving things away. He, he believes in getting um, America's objectives executed and attained. And having a military background is useful because you then understand you don't get concessions in negotiations unless you have the force ready to use the alternatives. And that's when you find that you're met, people meet you halfway. Otherwise, they don't. So Pompeo understands that. I think he has very clear, he's very clear-eyed about what our objectives are. And I, I'm very pleased that he's in that position because he enjoys Trump's confidence and I believe that Trump uh, and he are a good team. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, the state of Israel and their safety. Uh, you've been a big supporter of Israel for decades as your uncle was when he was a United States Senator Jacob Javits. Trump seems to be totally supportive of Israel. They say that Trump is Israel's best friend having a great partnership with Benjamin Netanyahu. What does the future look like for the state of Israel, Ambassador Javits? Well, if you, if you look at them from the standpoint of their brilliance, their innovation, their scientific accomplishments, what they're providing to the world, they are invaluable in that sense. If you look at them as the only real democracy in the Middle East, they're invaluable in that sense. If you look at them as the only reliable military ally of the United States there with the strength to really um, tip the scales, they're invaluable. So when you talk about what's the future, I think that the Israelis are fully capable of defending themselves unless weapons of mass destruction are rained upon them in such amounts that it basically wipes out the country. And if that happens, I honestly believe that they have the ability to retaliate and take down any country from which that kind of an attack would come. So it would be a mutual assured destruction of an enormous part of the world. So I, I kind of think that people who are using their brains are not going to want to see that happen. And so I don't expect... Israel is going to disappear. I don't think they're going to be defeated in any lesser wars. I think they will be able to handle the, um, the tactical situations adeptly and, and adroitly. And uh, I, I'm long term, I'm very bullish on 
Israel. I'm sorry we have to bring the Rusk Report to a close on ESPN AM 1520, blanketing 17 states and much of Canada. Special thanks to Kevin Carr, our Director of Production, and special thanks to Ambassador Eric M. Javits, who has enlightened us regarding world affairs once again. Happy New Year to all of our listeners, and have a great week. You've been listening to The Rusk Report, a program that takes an inside look at the Western New York community with news, features, and special guests. If you have any comments or suggestions, please write to Brian Rusk, 500 Corporate Parkway, Suite 200, Amherst, New York, 14226. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.